FS almost made a historical comeback. They were like buying uh, down by 19 against Alba, I think. In the beginning of the third quarter, they looked uh, horrible. So they made a comeback. They got the lead. It looked like they will finish the game on top. And then they lose after Luke Sigma put back dunk in the last second of the game. H- how cool was that? Um, it depends on, on, on who you are supporting. I mean, we like, have seen you with Alba hoodie, so... <laughs> <laughs> now, to me, it's always cool to see Luke Sigma doing something great. And at the same time, there there were some crazy shots by Jaylene Smith. There was the game tying free by... Uh, Tamir Blood, but it's more about FS than Alba, really. And, you know, when they were down by 19 points, all of a sudden they started playing defense. They they started pushing <laughs> the opponents, going for steals, being very aggressive. It led to some fast breaks, to some easy points. Uh, they became more aggressive offensively. They got a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter, and somehow they gave it all away again. I mean... That says a lot about FS this whole season, I, I think. Yes, there were some things that maybe went against them, like the those two three-pointers by Jaylene Smith. These were difficult shots, but anyway, uh, you are playing Alba Berlin, and you are, well, you can say away from home, even though, judging by the support, a they, lot of they felt like, like they're playing at home, but you, you're just playing the basketball that Alba wants you to play. Like mm. Alba Berlin is a team that wants to run. They want to be in this type of environment where, where it's easy to get an open look. And that was the game from, from the very beginning, from the tip-off. And when they were in trouble, they all of a sudden started defending and doing everything right. And I don't know, you should do that from the beginning of the game, not when you're down by 19 points. Okay. And Alba Berlin, yes, we can say uh, they're not in the last position anymore. They are they're 17th right now. But as we spoke before the season, this year, even the last team will be competitive. And we can say that Alba Berlin is is a competitive team. They got wins against some you great, great teams. can't underestimate them. Yeah, especially when they are at home and everything. And the, when... When the main players are healthy, I I have a lot of respect for Alba Berlin, but FS, I think they deserve to lose the game just because of how they were uh, approaching this whole season. Not just because of this one game, but because of the whole season. So when Sigma went for that putback, I I basically was emotionless watching that game. And also in that sequence, they were kind of unlucky because Mitic got hurt. He was defending more the low one-on-one. Elijah Bryant was sort of hesitant whether he should go for a strong side help or not. Should he leave Olinda to help Mitic or not? He didn't really commit to helping. Therefore, Maudolo had a decent look. There was no one to box out Luke Sigma. Yeah, because Singleton had to help. Yeah, exactly. He had to contest uh, Mm. Maudolo. And Mitic got hurt, so he was not even on the court for the last uh, possession. They had 1.3 seconds left still, and Bobo just couldn't couldn't, uh, I I was just surprised to see Shane Larkin making out-of-bounds play with like second to play in the fourth quarter. He should be on the court, or they were expecting some quick pass to Shane Larkin. I Although think, it was uh, not his night, but still, you want to put him in a position to try to score at least. I think uh, you know why he was making the inbounds pass because the idea of there is only one point three 
seconds yeah. remaining and he's the smallest guy so it's basically what needed to be you know it's it's probably going to be a catch and shoot situation and he's the smallest guy i know he's jumping a lot you know for his shots but maybe you know ataman was thinking that we need a taller guy getting the ball and just shooting over the defense because probably we are not going to uh get an open shot in those situations and alba berlin actually did made a interesting move there in the last seconds uh first they saw the alignment of fs for the for the last possession then uh, gonzalez called it another timeout of, yeah. by himself and then he said i want you to stay in a three two zone which goes into the two three after the first cut or something like that it did not did not really work because still luke sigma who was on the you know the lower side of lower line of the defense had to come up and just help on Bobua. but uh, you know it, it worked he they didn't even get the shot off in time so mm. uh but i, I just, thought it would I, I i thought it will toss the ball to tibor place mm. that, that was my uh initial thought but at first it was like 0.9 seconds left then yeah uh, after a review they they added some time and it was 1.3 so i don't know if that was the play if it was set for bobois to catch the ball but bobois acted like there were three or four seconds on the clock yeah i mean he could have at least took a jump shot a difficult mm. shot i get it but what can you expect uh, when, when there's so little time left to me it seemed like the play was you know just uh, a screen for bobois flare screen and just to come back and to, for him to shoot immediately because yeah. usually sometimes you know in these situations the defender will go under and if you come back suddenly you theoretically should theoretically should be wide open but you know it was the last seconds it did not work but talking about fs overall you know i think probably the opponents of fs right now are going into the games thinking okay we're gonna we're not, we're we're gonna suffer on the defensive side but on the offense is probably gonna be one of the easiest game for us uh coming coming to play against fs because you already know what they're going to do they're never changing their defensive system and even even more uh you know uh important is that everyone is staying one or two meters away from you like you saw in the first two quarters and a half before they started actually defending uh they're giving just so much space for every ball handler uh before they start you know their pick and roll coverages or one-on-one -on -one coverages that, that that is so easy to play uh for for any team and uh you know when on the other side you have Jonas Matisek as an example he comes on the court he's uh, immediately aggressively all over Mitic you know making fouls yeah uh but but still pressuring the ball give, giving trouble to Mitic uh and then coming to play Alba I was like okay this is a game where FS could lose but not because they're in the bad shape but because Alba is a team that plays a lot of off ball and slip screen actions and FS are just terrible at communicating at this and I saw three uh miscommunications in the first quarter on slip screens only and I was like yeah okay this is this is not how a playoff team plays and uh and you know not how a team that that should have the urge of making it to the playoffs and, and that's that's what I miss about FS you don't see the you don't see the urge from them to to actually make the playoffs and that quote from Ataman after the game it's like you are just one game behind the, the 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 eighth spot and why are you saying this there are still four games remaining you could still make it but i don't know if that's a tactic you know uh, ataman is known for mind games it's not the yeah. first time he's 
trying to challenge uh, his players and maybe the message behind it that he kind of doesn't believe not in his players but in this type of game and and presence that they've been showing up in the recent stretch or just in the entire second part of the regular season because as you mentioned they had the worst defensive rating in the second part of the regular season but at the same time i mean it's if if i'm a player okay i might get a little bit offended and I will I would try to perform as best as I can in the four remaining games because he kind of ruled them out but it's for sure that they have a chance because they yeah. have Basconia and Jalgiris against Jalgiris they have a head-to-head record against Basconia and not so basically they have to win three or four games and expect Basconia and Jalgiris to win two at most at the same time if I'm the owner of the team I might don't I might get this message misinterpreted because you know you have four games remaining you have your head coach not believing in your team and i'm like i invested 30 million euros this year i might get a call uh, i might get a pablo Lasso on my phone call and just to ask if you believe this crew can make the playoffs in this situation so i mean this this message can go can go both ways if i was a player on fs right now i would be probably more pissed than motivated like i would but that's just you know a personal preference i guess you know i would love my coach to be, you know, all, you know, I don't know, motivational, inspirational about our chances, like that he still believes in us. Not that, you know, he needs us to motivate that we cannot make the playoffs. Mm. I mean, this team is a two-time defending champion team and you're saying that we are not going to be in the playoffs. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I prefer that this way of of the mind games that Ataman is, is playing, doing. But you know, from from a neutral's point of view, I have to say that why should I believe in this team? Like, oh, that's true. Just just, yeah. just recently, they blew their lead against Partizan. That's true. Uh, this game against Alba, yeah, they made a comeback. They shouldn't be in a position down nineteen mm. against Alba Berlin, to be honest. Uh, okay, they did it in the end. Anything can happen. We saw that Elijah Bryan missed the shot. There was a lucky play where uh, the ball was bouncing around and uh, it went. To, yeah, I mean, to, basically, to, to just the game went, hands. went to the last seconds when they were up by six. Uh, maybe Jalen Smith wouldn't hit those shots every single night, but he did. Yeah, whatever happened, happened. Uh, you shouldn't be in a position down 19 against Alba Berlin, first of all. And now, what do they have left? First of all, Olympia Milano, a team that's playing at final four level right now, honestly. Um, they can still sure. make the playoffs. Like, and, why why yeah, should I exactly. believe that they they will uh, overcome Milan? Yeah. Then they have uh, Virtus Bologna. Okay, they they are the clear favorites at home against Virtus Bologna. But again, with FS, you never know. Then they have the Istanbul derby. Fenerbahce is obviously trying to clinch the playoffs and also still have some hopes of uh, home court advantage. Home court. And in the last game of the regular season, they have Monaco. Who knows, maybe for Monaco, that will be the decisive game, whether they finish fourth or fifth. So why should I believe that FS is capable of doing a four-game run when just recently I saw them playing no defense for for 25 minutes in Berlin? And Luke Sigma, I, I mean, when was the last time I saw him making assists so easily? Every single time... He gets the ball. It's an easy off the floor pass to a teammate mm, and and, and an easy layup. Like he finished with eight assists. The last time he had eight assists was game week six. So do I believe they, they are the team that's going to click all of a sudden against Milan, for example? 
the way Milan is playing right now, even your good performance might not be enough because Shabazz Napier is cooking and they still have the best defense in the league or at least mm. almost the best defense in the league, one of the better defenses, let's say. Yeah, and at this point of the season, Milan deserves the playoffs way more uh, when FS. And now FS, they have to look how Jalgiris and Bascona are performing. So Jalgiris have three home games left <coughs> against Monaco, Valencia, and this double run week. Then Maccabi the home in the last game of the regular season against Bayern. So you can't say that they cannot win at least three games. Uh, the problem the for, for Milan is probably that they don't have head-to-head advantages. Mm. That was a good text of yours. I have right? to check now the head-to-head uh, article right now. But replying to your point about who deserves it more, I I have more empathy for um, Milan just because uh, they are out of the playoff picture right now uh, due to injuries. In the first part of the season, they didn't have Siobhan Shields. They lost Kevin Pangos. They didn't sign a point guard. They signed Shabazz Napier. Uh, later than they needed. Uh, so right now they're playing good basketball, but they're trying to compensate for what they've lost in the first part of the season. And FS are in the position just because they were too careless all the time. So I do have more empathy for a team that was suffering uh, mm. an injury crisis than the team that was just losing because they are back-to-back champions and they don't really care about the regular season enough. Yeah, you were right. The Milan, they were swept by Jargides. Uh They were one-on-one uh, against Basconia, but uh, Basconia, they lost uh, by 16 yeah. uh, away. So, yeah, Basconia has an advantage. And just to add, uh, what's the schedule of Basconia for the remaining of the regular season? Also, three home games out of four. Alba at home, Fener at home, Asvel at home, and Olympiacos away. So, it's not going to be... Uh, not so much room for luck uh, from FS yeah. standpoints, and even in Milan's case. But in Milan's case, like I said, they are a great team right now. If they somehow qualify for the playoffs, we were talking last week, August was absent. Mm. Uh, who is the worst opponent eighth you can seed. get from the eighth seed? And we agreed on Partizan because of Jelko Bradovic, because how difficult the series could be against him. But if you get Milan as an eighth seed, yeah. You're getting a final four material team. Yeah. Honestly. Imagine only Bacos right now uh, and before the last round or Real Madrid, you know, yeah. any any team who will have the number one spot. And before the last game round, there is possibility for the last spot either F either uh Jalgris or <laughs> Olympia Milano. Ouch. And, uh, the differences in the, in those two teams and, and their form. For example, right the, way, the, the way uh, Messina's team handled that uh, that game against uh, Fenerbahce, it was a postponed game. They they had it on Tuesday. It was just a textbook performance. Like they had the lead for most of the game, uh, away from home, and and when there were some tough moments, they were just relying on Shabazz Napier one on one in ISO. He he scored some difficult shots and like in some games I saw him more as a playmaker. In this game he was more uh, more of a, as a scorer, as he said himself. After the first half he only had like five points and he said in the interview, I I talked to Messina and I said like in the first half I will not be very aggressive. Let's just see how they defend me one on one and and in the pick and rolls, and in the second half I will have the answers. And yeah, that was it. It seems like the only enemy right now for Olympia is uh, Brescia. 
because uh, <laughs> they <laughs> lost yes. they lost again to them yesterday and uh, there are only two teams that has beat that have beaten Olympia after Napier's arrival and yeah. that's uh, Real Madrid and Brescia twice so yeah I mean if Milan makes the playoffs it would be a huge miracle not just because of their situation that they've been to but also because of their remaining schedule because they're playing FS away Maccabi away they're hosting Barca and they're playing uh, Italian derby against uh, Virtus away so but uh, again I'm, I think they're going to win like, three out of four but that's not going to be enough uh, I was looking at that it depends. Italian we'll derby in the Euroleague on the last round and in the in the first part of the season I was like okay this is this will be the saddest derby ever you know it, it's not going to matter but what if that game will de would decide yeah, exactly uh, uh, that would be huge like I said I think three out of four yeah, but well, uh, playing but at this level is possible. possible. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's possible, possible to win all of them, ago, but, I mean, but, but three out of four is not enough. That's the problem. It's impossible to qualify I, I, with seven wins. I don't wins. trust the Jalgiris and I don't trust Basconia anymore. For instance, Basconia, they're they have one of the worst records in the second part of the regular season. They dropped this game against the uh, Red Star as well. So I'm kind of not not really. Yeah, but. You, you just said that Basconia is playing Alba Berlin at home. Their, their schedule is good, but I home. just don't Three trust them games. anymore, even if they're playing home. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. 17 wins is not enough. Mm, probably. I mean, I mean if, if Basconia drops a few more games, I mean, everything's possible. I mean, so. they're going I'm to sorry, I'm betting, I'm betting everything I have that they're not dropping games against Asphalt and Alba at home. To be, to be honest, how much is that? Everything you I have right now all on in. me. I have oh, right okay. now on me. It's not much. Your, this, this hoodie? <laughs> uh, Money-wise, money probably. Wise, okay. I'm not betting my clothes. I'm not that desperate. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, if they win these two games, they have 17 wins. That's it. That's it. So okay. Milan will not qualify with 17 wins. That's my point. With 18, okay. they might. With 17, no. Mm. Even Jalgiris, I expect them to win at least two out of four games remaining. So, and you said that the Italian champions don't have head-to-head -head advantage against neither of these teams. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, speaking of potential playoff matchups and, and playoffs, Olympiakos uh, lost against Partizan, and Game theoretically, the it's still possible that they might face each other uh, in the playoffs, uh, uh, in the quarterfinals. Although probably Olympiakos will have to lose the first seed and Partizan to stay in the seventh position uh, in the standings. Uh, it's still possible because Olympiakos has a tie with Real Madrid, although they have a head-to-head -head advantage. Uh, it depends on the final stretch of the season if Olympiakos will save the top spot uh, in the standings. But just based on this game, based on Partizan's uh, form in the second part of the regular season, if I'm Olympiakos, if I'm Bortsokas, should I be concerned about potentially meeting Partizan in the playoffs? I think anyone who will meet Partizan in the playoffs should be concerned. I will say this way. I think Partizan right now, top three team in the EuroLeague. Mm -hmm. To me. In the last 10 games, they are uh, number second team offensively. And they have been number one throughout almost all season. So their offense is, Elite. is great. Elite. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. They have so many options. You know, uh, so many different uh, 
set plays and ways to attack uh, teams. You know, Olympiacos were switching a lot of time. They had so many different weapons, you know, these little handoff plays after the switch. Uh, you don't see that often. Uh, moving the ball, great spacing, just just beautiful basketball, you know, in, in the offensive side. And Olympiacos couldn't really do anything, you know, apart from the uh, small uh, period where Thomas Walkup just took over in the third quarter and had some great defensive plays. And they are, Partizan are number six in, in defensive rating uh, in the last 10 games. Uh, in the start of the season, they were dead last in, in that category. They were they are playing a lot of dif different different coverages and to me it seemed like in the first part of the season it was you know the players were just confused it was not they mm -hmm. were still trying to get into the rhythm to understand where they need to be and right now they're to me clicking everywhere like offensively and defensively and uh with the, th that aggressive defense that we don't see for example from fs i think uh they're probably the toughest matchup uh, that you can get uh, out of the, you know, fifth and eighth seed. And I think they're right now, they're playing even, you know, as a top three team in the EuroLeague. And this game uh, showed that in Stark Arena and in, in the playoffs, it's it's going to be hard to win. So, and nobody's uh, safe from partisan stealing a game, you know, away mm -hmm. because they will not have, you know, the the, the home court advantage. So. Uh, Olympiacos should be should be worried, I think, in in my eyes after this game. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about being worried. I mean, in in general, you should be concerned about any team you're facing in a playoff series because Definitely. you cannot expect an easy series against Maccabi against uh, Basconia even. Although they're they're looking like the like clearly the easiest opponent for you to face as an eighth seed right now, but who knows what's going to happen. Uh, I would still pick Olympiacos in a five best of five series with a home court advantage over Partizan, uh, but it would be difficult. It's just that right now it's too hard to say that they should be worried about Partizan. When there is a possibility they will face them, but there is just as big of a possibility they will not. Like Even bigger. Olympiacos yeah. is tied with Real Madrid right now. There's Barcelona and Monaco, only one win behind. So basically in one week, you can fall from the first seat to the fourth. Uh, I think it's too early to say when we have those matchups, we can discuss uh, whether they were lucky or not to to face yeah. one team or another. It's just that, <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's just that not Olympiacos should be worried about Partizan. I mean, Partizan is now a problem For to anyone, anybody. Yeah. yeah. It's not that for Olympiacos, Partizan is a bad matchup. Uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona would face the same problems playing Partizan in in a best of five series. So, and and especially if let's say Real Madrid uh, plays Partizan, let's be real. I mean, Real Madrid is not a team that relies a lot on great coaching decisions. It's just a team that plays their own basketball with with the roster that they have, a lot of experience and a lot of talent, but coaching-wise, Partizan definitely has more to offer. So I would say Real Madrid should should worry about Partizan even more if, if they um, and mm. end up with them. Yeah, and the thing about Olympiacos is that they have a pretty good uh, remaining schedule. They're playing three games at home, including Asvel, Patnaikos, and Basconia. They're playing Red Star away, so they're in a good position to, to win the regular season because they have the... Uh, tiebreaker against uh, Real Madrid, although Real's 
schedule is also not so scary. Uh, okay, it's way difficult, way more difficult, <laughs> actually. They're hosting Fener, they're hosting uh, Bayern, but they're also playing away against Partizan, and they're playing away against Maccabi. Uh, a couple of potential uh, playoff matchups, actually. That's interesting. Uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, just to add, uh, based on that game, uh, the outcome of that game, I don't want to take any credit out of Partizan, but I would say that Olympiacos, it was it was not a normal Olympiacos team. I mean, they made their first three-pointer in the beginning of the fourth quarter. They made only three of 20. Their defense, although Partizan did some great coaching adjustments, it was it was something different as well. They were just collapsing in an unusual way. I'm, I'm not sure if the reason was Yorgos Barsokas not coming to Belgrade or what, uh, or if him not screaming on the sidelines was something that uh, you know affected the, the players' effort, focus, and stuff. But it, we're just talking about Partizan, who played amazing game, close to an excellent game, with some shots they made. It was a huge game, but Partizan and Olympiacos played probably one of their uh, worst games. So based on that game, the outcome of that game, I wouldn't say that this should be worried. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about the elite coaching, uh, about Partizan being one of the hottest team in the second part of the regular season, with one of the best records in, in that stretch. Uh, with this amazing arena, I mean, can anybody explain in comment section how the hell they can get over 20,000 people in the standings where, I mean, you, you remember when they had 18, and they announced it as a sold out crowd. So how possible to have 2000 extra people in an already sold out gym? It seemed even more to me mm -hmm. watching on the stream. It feels like uh, their um, president uh, mentioned that they could host some games in football stadium, but having a game in Stark Arena with these banners, it already feels like they were playing an indoor football stadium, actually. Uh, so some of the moments where the game is going on and and uh, everyone is singing and you know well it, it doesn't matter if the team scores or not everyone just keeps singing you know there is no clapping I was like okay this is this is something different from from basketball atmosphere you know this is am I watching football or or what is happening but but uh, to your point about Olympiakos uh, completely agree uh, Sasha Vizenkov was was stopped let's say he, I mean, he scored like six points i think, I think lucas made seven, seven turnovers points. i mean it's yeah I, I was i was about i wanted to mention these these two guys uh Vizenkov, yeah zach Lidi had an obvious task you know and and every team in in, in euroleague you know already know and should defend sasha Vizenkov this way you know you, you you stay attached to him you can't let him you can't give him space because he is going to score off mike the james ball. approves yeah uh yeah mike james approves but uh, yeah, it helps Olympiacos, you know, with great spacing, but uh, at the same time, Costas Lucas was having a really hard time against that aggressive defense. And to me, it was a, also an example of how, you know, one team is fighting for a playoff spot and the other team is kind of safe. And, you know, it still gives a slight advantage for that team that is fighting for the, for the playoff spot because Olympiacos, uh, Partizan came out super aggressive. And and Olympiacos were not, you know, didn't respond in, in the same manner. So together combined with that that atmosphere, with the talent that they have on, on, on that roster, and there goes the result. Yeah, and for sure, we're just not g taking any, anything away from partisan wins, but it was just not the usual Olympiacos presence that we usually... Oh, we are not taking anything away. I'm saying they're top yeah, yeah. three team in the EuroLeague at the moment. Yeah. So. Uh, another 
part of this discussion. Uh, Dante Hexum's dad was uh, in the crowd uh, during that match, and he said in the interview to Mozart Bet, I think, uh, he said that he sees uh, Dante as a partisan player in the long run if the club decided to offer him a new contract. Since he's a player on expiring contract, if you're a partisan GM, do you give him a contract extension Extension already? Do you see him as a your primary, your let's say, first point guard of that team? Of, of course, if you can keep a player like Dante Exum, you keep him. Uh, if, if they have the possibility to offer a long-term contract, then yeah, go for it. I don't know if Partizan is in a position to do that, though, because nobody knows whether they will be in the EuroLeague next season or not. I I don't think they know what their financial uh, possibilities mm. will be after a year or two. So maybe it's it's kind of hard to sign a three- or four-year deal with a player like Dante Exum uh, when you don't really know what you can offer to him. Uh, I would like to see, actually, Dante Exum again in the NBA, I think he uh, improved as a player in Europe a lot. Uh, he is now a much better shooter than he was when, when the Utah Jazz drafted him. And with his athleticism, he could have a, a, a good spot on a good team in the NBA, honestly. I don't know if that's what he's thinking, if that is his goal. It seemed like when he signed a short-term term deal with Barcelona that he just wants to play here and in the summer he's going to look for mm. NBA options again but then all of a sudden he signed with Partizan so if Partizan can keep him if that's a possibility for sure even in the market where maybe Facundo Campasso uh, Shabazz Napier okay Chris Jones is out of consideration but even in the market where there are some other elite point guards I mean it's let's not just fix this idea of him being the main point guard of the team. He's a flexible basketball player. You can build a different roster and he can play different positions and it's just about that. Uh, if you compare him like like to like with players that you've mentioned. Lucas as well. Do yeah. any of them uh, have the athleticism of Dante no, Exum? Can they be as good yeah. defensively as, as he is? So he doesn't necessarily have to be your primary ball handler. It's just that the things he gives you are very hard to replace. Like So much all-around stuff. Yeah, none mm -hmm. of these players have the defensive abilities of Dante Exum. And, and he improved a lot as a player in my eyes during during the season. So yeah. uh, if Partizan can keep him, just sign a contract and, yeah. and, and they're good. But from Dante Exum's point, uh, if you go to the EuroLeague free agency you will definitely have good offers from elite teams. If you try yourself in the NBA again, I believe there will be some possibilities. And if Partizan is not playing in the EuroLeague, then maybe that's not the best destination, even if you love the fans, the atmosphere, and your father is very happy to be in the Stark Arena. Yeah, and I'm just... I'm not against your uh, opinion. I'm just trying to push you to the edge because sometimes I also think that uh, I actually had mixed feelings about Dante Exum because we got to used to him as an off-ball player, especially in Barca, and when he joined Partizan, especially in the first part of the season, everybody was questioning the point guard uh, rotation that Jelko Bradovic has. I remember I mean, it's weird. I, I remember that e even having works. Eric McCollum and Malcolm Delaney on the pod, they also said that Dante is not a real point guard. And uh, early in the season, also Eric said something that they should bring a point guard. We kind of saw it as a, one of the weak links 
uh, of that team. But uh, at the same time, first of all, in the second part of the season, Dante Exum really improved his numbers. The team started winning, and it's also part of, uh, thanks to Dante's uh, game, I mean, he was averaging in the second part of the regular season, he was averaging almost 14 points on 60% of two-point shooting and 39% of three-point shooting, almost three rebounds and over three assists per game. And sometimes we had this social media post with Marco Gudrich and Eddie Tavares uh, and the perfect player description with six different guys. And sometimes when you watch Dante Exum playing, I mean, his athleticism, his strength, his ability to finish it strong, uh, penetrating with his improved shooting, uh, with his uh, defensive uh, presence that leads to some transition game where he, where he is crazy, he sometimes looks like a perfect player, actually. And, you know, getting adjusted uh, adjusted to Jelko's uh, system, Jelko's requirement, requirements, playing for him as a point guard, I mean, he for sure improved uh, as a point guard, although he was kind of becoming an off-ball player uh, in recent years. We all remember these projections for him in the NBA as a tall point guard and stuff, but the way he had to adjust and to uh, switch positions, it seems, it seems like Jelko brought that confidence back and maybe we will have this different view on, on Dan Tengsum. He's actually one of the most efficient uh, players in the EuroLeague, if talking, you know, points per possession. He's scoring 1.18 points per possession per, you know, when he when he's attacking. That's a huge number. And actually on catch and shoots, he's 1.51. That's an enormous, an enormous number, you know, for someone who wasn't yeah. rec just uh, recently recognized as, as a shooter. And, uh, you know, he, he, I still don't think he is the main point guard of the team. He's more to me of a slasher, of a guy who, you know, attacks the paint when, when, when gets the chance. Uh, their point guard rotation is still weird to me. It's it's not not it's weird. Not typical. It's not typical. It's not yeah. usual. You know, you have Miamadar who's starting games, but then you have Alexa Vramic who's playing great. You know, the second part of the season, and he's playing long runs. You know, in the second half of yeah. of games, then you have Dante Exum who is sometimes you know taking the role or just mm -hmm. playing the two position, but handling the ball, attacking the rim, kicking out passes. So. Uh, it's not your usual, you know, point guard rotation with Dante Exum being the number one guy at that position. But if I had a chance to sign him for two or three years, if I'm a partisan, I would definitely do that. I think the combination he gives is unique, you know, in the EuroLeague. And yeah. with this confidence he's playing right now uh, and the, the game that he's shown throughout the season, you definitely want to sign him. And that's mm. a good point about the point guard rotation because... Typically, these European teams have a floor general, which Partizan really doesn't have. Mm -hmm. no. When you open the stats of any team in, in, in EuroLeague, or even in Europe, you can say, even in those lower leagues like Euro mm -hmm. Cup or Champions League, you expect to see uh, the leading point guard with at least, let's say, 4.5 assists or 5 assists. 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Dante Exum has 2.9 assists per game, and that's the uh, highest in the team. Okay. Then that's the highest in the team. Wow. Yeah, Kevin Ponder has 2.2, and they have the sec the best, the best or yeah. second best offense in the Euroleague. Yeah, exactly. Well, also they have good passing bigs. Let's say Zach yeah, Lede yeah. as a big man, he can pass the ball. Even Matias Lasor has improved a lot. So, but 2.9 assists per game, and he's leading the team. Uh, Kevin Ponder 2.2. Then you have. Plenty of players averaging some somewhere near 1.5, 1.6, 1.7. Uh, 
so that's that's the statistical uh, proof that of what you said. They mm. don't have a clear point guard rotation. They don't have a floor general as as Slukas, Kalaitis, uh, Darius Thompson, Lorenzo Brown. Lorenzo Brown. They mm. don't have players like that, and they don't rely on anybody to be the single guy to control the team. But they do have a very good offensive system. They have Joko Bradovic running the show, basically. They have good system, ball movement, yeah. and it doesn't really matter whether uh, somebody creates from the first position, the second, the third, the fourth, or the fifth, as long as you have a, a, a good look. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we got tricked by Partizan this year, you know, questioning their selection in the point guard position, and now we're just witnessing the best offense in the EuroLeague. Speaking of best good offenses in the EuroLeague and 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 best point guards in the league. Mike James is returning to the rotation after the suspension. And what's interesting, when he was out, Monaco won all games in the EuroLeague. Yeah, I think that they won also all games in the French League uh, Cup tournaments. But focusing on the EuroLeague, they won against Basconia, Virtus, Valencia. They actually, in this three-game stretch, they had the best offensive rating uh, from round 28 yeah. to 30. Fifth best defensive rating. Although what's interesting about the offense that it was not about some great miraculous shooting or something because in this stretch, they were only 16th in the three-point shooting and 10th in true shooting percentage. They were second in rebounds, first in offensive rebounds, and seventh in assist percentage. Now Mike James is returning uh, for the game against Jalgiris. That's great to you know, witness that. He already returned. Uh, in the French League, and they lost. And they but lost. for the EuroLeague, yeah, yeah he's returning uh, against Schalgeris. And just just watching them with Mike James, without Mike James, what were your feelings? I mean, what were pros and cons of having and not having Mike James? And do you believe that without him, without him, they could contend for the Final Four? I mean, it's clear that without him, they don't drop as much as maybe somebody could expect, like he's the best player on the team. No, they have enough talent, enough ball handlers. They have, they have Elio Kobo and Jordan Lloyd. I mean, and they were prepared for that kind of situation. The actually. thing is that when you take all these stats, isolated from the context, it looks nice. Like, yeah. wow, they, they had very good offense without Mike James. They also but played Valencia Let's not forget they played Valencia and Basconia. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. These two teams are not known for playing good defense. And they are the teams, I, I would say Valencia, Bosconia, FS and Alba, they are the teams that are easiest to score against. Yeah. If that makes sense to you. And they play uh, in a fast pace, which means you are probably going to score more. Yeah, you're going to have some more and fast well. breaks, transition freeze and all that stuff. And obviously it helps that recently, I think Dante Hall reached his best shape this season. I think he's in a, Finally. In a very good shape. Right now, he, he's just uh, dominating, uh, crashing boards, uh, doing everything Sasha Abradovich wants from him. I mean, his numbers in, in this four or five game period are crazy. Like this last game against Valencia, he had a double-double with 10 points, 13 rebounds, 26 uh, performance index rating. Uh, but anyway... Yeah, when you have a Kobo and Lloyd and you're playing this fast-paced basketball and you're creating open looks, it's it's great. You can survive even without Mike James. You had Matthew Strazel shooting free from free from downtown. points, three assists. That's his best performance in, in, in his career so far. Uh, they're still not a very good three-point shooting team. Yeah. That's still an issue, I believe. 
but the idea that they're better without Mike James doesn't fit me, honestly. Because especially in the playoff series. Yeah. In a playoff series, you will need someone who can carry the team in the tough moments. And and he is the guy. I mean, as long as he's committed, that's the thing. If he has some issues with anything that's happening outside of the uh, of the game, if he's not happy, then you might see something nasty. But in general, if he's committed, if if like uh, those rumors that Lekip spread, I believe uh, about him fighting with his teammates or something like that, having some disagreements are not mm. true. And if everything's fine in the locker room, then let's wait and see how he looks on the court again. I mean, just looking at Monaco's face without him in, in these three games, obviously, as we said before, you have to take into consideration what you're playing against. And I just checked right now the defensive ratings. Valencia is last in defensive rating in the EuroLeague. Basconia is 11th and Virtus is 7th. So that's on average, you know, you're playing 13th defense uh, on average in these three games. Uh, I'm not saying it, it's, it's better, uh, you know, Definitely, they had more ball movement because, you know, Mike is someone who uh, is capable of deciding things on his own, uh, you know, creating the advantage with the ball. Uh, without him, it was much more, a little bit more ball movement and just players sharing the ball, creating advantage maybe with, with passing rather, rather than one-on-one -on -one basketball. I'm not saying that's better or worse. It's just, you know, uh, we saw a little bit more of that in, in those three games. Defensively, you know, uh you you didn't the team didn't really change their their face in in these three games you know they still know that mike is coming back and and stuff but i i doubt that it would help help monaco you know in the series and especially in the playoffs because uh as you said matthew streisel had 15 points and three assists in this last game who would bet on him making the same performance uh, not against valencia but against uh fenerbahce or or uh, whatever you're playing in the first round, you know. So uh, he he made a great, uh, you know, change for Mike James in, in this period. Uh, and others also stepped in. It, it helped that you have Elio Kobo, who is a superstar in the EuroLeague, or last year was one of the best perimeter players, and Jordan Lloyd, who is finally, you know, understands how to play in that, in that Monaco roster, has been playing great in the mm. last 10 games. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely helps that you have these two great players to step in and, but I would just, it, it would be an answer to say that with, without Mike James, this team would be a favorite even to win a playoff series. I, I don't think so. And, uh, I just hope they can, you know, sort the, the problems out internally and, and be competitive and at their best when, when playoff comes. Yeah, I, I agree because with all the challenges and interesting things that Mike James brings uh, with him together, it's still he he's like some some you know um, spicy sauce. He adds something extra, and that's the extra that you need uh, to make the final four. Actually, this 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 stretch of the for for Monaco was great. They won all three games. I'm not underestimating their opponents because they were also still fighting for the playoffs. They were let's say bringing their best uh, to win against Monaco to 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 help them to to help themselves to make the top eight. But at the same time, uh, even though the ball movement was maybe better and stuff like that, Mike James is something extra that leads you to the final four. And without him, Definitely. even though this group played some great collective basketball, I just don't see them being a, a in However, the final four contender. <clears throat> there are some terms and conditions. 
I am <laughs> I am a guy who always defends Mike James. You know that. And I love his game. But now when he's back from this suspension, I don't want to see any more complaining about the referees or pushing Chima Moneke away from him because he's just trying to call him down. I don't want to see all this bad body language going to the bench and Sasha Bradovich tries to tell you something and just sort of ignore your coach. I want to see somebody who's focused on making it to the Final Four, on leading the team and playing good basketball. Yeah. It's it's nonsense to say that Monaco is a better team without Mike James, but they need a good Mike James. They don't need Mike James fighting referees and anybody else. And maybe even those uh, arguments he has on Twitter with fans. Maybe Monaco as a club don't want to see that anymore. I don't know. Uh, actually, Will Clyburn had a great... We, we, <laughs> we will have it on our social media yeah, had a great remark. I'm sorry, I was really sick last week. I'm still feeling some consequences so that's just what i'm saying but the playoffs start now they clinched the playoffs already now they're fighting for a home court advantage mike james needs to be in a playoff mode it has to be about basketball and that's it i think that was as as weird as it sounds it was the best uh, moment to have a beef with mike james to have this suspension uh, uh suspension stretch with mike james because now he comes back it he was suspended not for parting with Dwayne Bacon and, you know, spending a night uh, in the, it was double round with EuroLeague week. I don't even remember, but it doesn't matter at all. It was something more and it involved his teammates. So now returning, he has to show his best version both on and off the court. We saw those moments, as I mentioned, bad body language and that stuff, what was happening. And I just believe that we, I mean, Mike James is a smart guy. We have only two months left until the end of the whole EuroLeague season, including the Final Four. He signed a two-year contract with Monaco, but from from what I know, it's not like a guaranteed deal for the next season. So he has, and he's turning how, how many? 33, I think, this summer. And with this suspension, with all the stuff that is happening, I really believe that he will try to show his best version both on and off the court. Uh, I believe that it's going to be a fresh start for the whole Monaco team because... Although we're saying that, okay, they played Basconia, Valencia and stuff, th this stretch for the rest of the Monaco group was very important to show up as the unit and to kind of tell him, hey, Mike, we can still win games without you. Although you are the best player of our group, I mean, we're still good and you have to respect that. Sometimes even it's good even for the best player, you know, to come back to down to earth and to see that the rest of the group, your teammates, they're also good without you. So I just really believe that it's the best uh, moment uh, of the season with Monaco clinching the playoff berth, being close to securing the home court advantage and before facing the final stretch of the season to have this situation with uh, Mike James, just let's say um, to reset the the whole thing and just come together for uh, some some big uh, run in the playoffs. They just have Jalgiris, Bayern Munich, Partizan and Efes. Uh, three of those games are away from home. So that's not a very easy schedule. Uh, no. And of course, we're talking about Monaco as a contender for a home court advantage. They have a two-game uh, yeah. advantage over Fenerbahce. So they need to win probably at least two out of four. And this game against Jalgiris is important. It seems more important to Jalgiris because they are still chasing playoffs and Monaco is chasing a home court advantage. But 
I I do believe that Monaco was also approaching this game yeah. seriously. I think so. Just a last point, uh, a great a great moment uh, for Mike James to have a two to, to to have him a break for him because we know how much he loves the uh, ten month uh, season in Europe and right now to have this little break before heading into the last part of the season. Mm. I think Mike, maybe that that that, that will uh, you know fit Mike fit him well. Change his strategy a little bit. Um, <laughs> of course, it's a joke. Like he should get suspensions after the Euroleague season. Mm. So you don't have to play in June. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. He 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 gets to the final four, maybe wins it. Yeah, and then like, why nah, bother bro. playing these French league players? Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the other topic. Yeah, we have a couple of topics remaining. Chris Jones just extending a contract with Valencia. Bravo. It seems like Dubljevic had this That's what I was nice saying. walk in the that park, talk. as Rita if said. If I had a chance to sign a 10-year deal with Valencia to do whatever for that club, <laughs> whatever. I, would, I would sign that deal. <laughs> Valencia people, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> just think about the role. Do you need Rita a mascot or something? I don't know. I mean, I'm available. Yes. Do, you, do you know Spanish? I will learn Spanish. I will learn Spanish. For Spanish that, is for not that. a very difficult language. Yeah. I had uh, it for one semester in in university, so I can do that in a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. So Chris Jones got that extension. Three year extension is coming up. Uh, although it's not sure if Valencia will stay in the Euroleague, it's actually pretty doubtful that they will remain in the Euroleague for the next season. Come on, but Chris Jones signing a three year deal. They they have to have some guarantees. Mm, it's yearly. There are no guarantees for half of the. I think they have a guarantee that they will teams. win the Euro Cup next season and they will will <laughs> be back. And if not, maybe the gym. Because that's, 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 what, that's what they did already, like forty-five times. Yeah, so exactly. They're gonna do it again. And if not, it's not the case. They will finish building this great arena and then will return to the yearly competition. Anyways, uh, Chris Jones. In the future, he will have this exit clause in his deal, but for this summer, he he don't. So that means that for sure, for sure, he will remain in Valencia at least for the another year. Uh, big teams were after him as well and from what I've heard one of the teams uh, that were really interested in him was Fenerbahce but when they made this Tyler Dorsey move they basically have the completely complete backcourt for the following years uh, and Chris Jones was one of these players uh, who improved his stock uh, significantly in the last couple of seasons I believe that he's now in 1 million euro uh, club and we also have some other players uh, who might join him, who might follow his uh, path. And Jonas Lakshas wrote the story about the players who improved their stock uh, the most uh, this season. And for instance, the list includes players like... Uh, okay, let, I don't You want me list. to read the list? Yeah, it would be great. Darius Thompson, uh, Bonzi Carlson, Matthias Lasor. John Matthews, Luca Vildoza, Philip Petrushev, and Yanulis Larenzakis. That's great. Uh, but if maybe there are some players that he missed out, maybe there are some players that they are under the radar, but also uh, due to the performance this season, they will improve uh, their stock and situation for entering the market or just being a potential buyout uh, consideration. Who would be your top? two top three picks or just one one player that you think that deserves uh, more credit mm. and made a huge strides during the season? I mean, 
whatever contract Shabazz Napier is on, it's not enough. <laughs> he should be on a better contract. <laughs> yeah. Even though we don't know how much he's getting. Uh, we don't he know. He's a raise. I know that his asking price uh, for this season was something like 150 every month, uh, 150 oh. US dollars. Uh, okay. Which is like, you, you cannot, it, okay, if it would be a full season, it would be 1.5 million, but that's the different conversation when we're speaking about the player who joined the Euroleague team only in the so end of January. So that's like 600K, right? Yeah, something like that until the end of the season. But obviously, and I mean, what was interesting about Shabazz Napier when, when other teams, not as high caliber teams as Milan called for Napier, he said that he's not coming to Europe. But of course, when Ettore Messina is calling you and the organization like Milan is calling you, you, you might change your opinion about uh, uh, your future. And it's not clear yet if Shabazz Napier actually will stay in the EuroLeague. Maybe he has his own goals about the NBA, but for sure he, he will be one of the most intriguing uh, free agents this summer. Doesn't he have a contract with uh, Milano also for the next year? I really doubt it. Okay. Anyway, uh, there is one guy on my list who already uh, improved his stock and had have a contract sign this season. And this guy is from Maccabi Tel Aviv, Roman Sorkin. Mm -hmm. I mean, Maccabi yeah. were quick to react on his performances and signed him for a bigger deal. I think another guy, you know, we talked about him uh, quite a lot on this pod and especially on these, you know, underrated topics is uh, Matt Costello. Yeah. Uh, I think he raised his. Uh, Price, his salary with his play. Uh, another guy I have, uh, you know, if I had to choose, probably it's Roland Schmitz to me. He probably, yeah. with his play, showed that he can be, you know, a starting player in For the sure. EuroLeague. Especially when he has that homegrown status as in, a, in, Spain. in Spain. In Spain. Mm -hmm. Spain. So, yeah, he, 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 could, he would be an attractive option for many for a lot of Spain teams. And if I had to mention another guy, uh, maybe, you know, Luis Olinde is uh -huh. quite under the radar guy. Uh, That's true. I think, you know, his length, uh, his ability to defend, to, to, you know, to knock down catch and shoot opportunities could be attractive for, for, for more than Alba Berlin. And I, I don't think he's getting a lot of money there. To yeah. compare to what he maybe you know what he, other what the salaries are on the other teams, he's so. on an expiring contract. And I actually heard that you know there is some NBA interest in him because probably he has that body and this you know ability to play this and some helping role. Interesting material, you know. Mm -hmm. And if it and wasn't, he's still very young, twenty four. So if it wasn't for uh, those season-ending injuries, I I think we we would name uh, Keenan Evans sure, and number one. August be obvious. Call. Augustin yeah. Rubit also would deserve a mention. He was the player of the month in mm -hmm. uh, December or January? Yeah, December, I think, I think January. Maybe yeah. it was Vildoza's month. But also suffered a career uh, season-ending injury, hopefully not career ending. No, no, no. So uh, yeah, they would be on the list as well, but injuries affect players and their careers, obviously. Uh, but those were good mentions by by August. And actually, uh, January. I, I'm not so sure about, let's say, Yanuris Larenzakis, uh, rising in value he's 29 years old it's pretty obvious he's gonna play for olympiacos it's not like he's gonna become a free agent and sign with you fs know, all of a sudden but when you're becoming a solid greek player there's always a competition between panthinaikos and olympiacos yeah, okay. which you casually it, it raises your stock so okay fair enough well in that case we could mention lithuanian players, and you never right? know maybe too this is bringing another greek player to fenerbahce so, so 
I'm just saying, like yeah. in that but case, yeah, we I, can I mention we can point. mention Lithuanian players like uh, Arnas Butkavičius is a newcomer to the Euroleague and he showed some elite defense, like and he's playing for 150k per year or 200 at, at best, something like that. So Žalgiris mm-hmm. extends his contract; it, they should almost double his salary, probably. Mm. Is it going to happen though? I really doubt. Do you have other I names? I don't know. It's like that's what I, that's my point. It's not like. Butkiewicz is going to be yeah. signed by Barcelona and Lorenzakis yeah. is going to be signed by Real Madrid. No. Yeah, that's true. They're local players. They're going to stay local with their stars, teams. Let's say. Yeah. Any other names? I actually put Cassius Winston on this list. For yeah. me, he's still like not consistent enough, not effective uh, effective <coughs> enough, but also I think that the being a rookie in the EuroLeague basketball also plays a role uh, with getting this bag of experience uh, playing for Andrea Trinchieri. Mm-hmm. Uh, with getting the bag of experience playing this crazy schedule with the Euroleague, with the German Bundesliga, I think that he would make a huge improvement for the second year and already liked some strides of his season. He's he's so smart. He's one of the most unathletic American players in the Euroleague probably, but at the same time crafty. He, he ha- he's so smart, he's so crafty, he, he can read the game so well that of course this scoring ability is, is, is off the charts. So. Okay. Well, if you mentioned him <sighs> And if also a name like Jonah Matthews was on the list, I yeah. think we can mention Jared Harper. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know he's a like an undersized guard. Not every coach wants to have a player that's 178 uh, centimeters tall, but he has a a lot of skill, a lot of flair. Uh, he's a good shooter. He is not very consistent, but again, as you said, with Cassius Winston, still a Euroleague rookie. Mm. But I think in the second part of the season, especially when Valencia had to cope uh, without Chris Jones in some games, uh, Jared Harper stepped up and he had some 20-point performances. He had some good shooting nights. Uh, and he's an interesting player to me. So uh, he's... He could be mentioned in this. If we are talking about Valencia guys, do you think JC Rivero? Uh, yep. You know, Rivero before the season, I said he's gonna be one of my favorite. JB Brown. Uh, and he started. And he started the season actually on quite a high note. He had injuries. That's the problem. <clears throat> but as I said, Hasiel Rivero is just a fighter. He that's what he does, and it didn't really surprise me uh, because I saw him the same. In the Euro Cup and in, in the ACB League previously, uh, you do have some doubts about his skill set and sometimes about his decision making. But but he is just a fighter. Uh-huh. And two little guys, Tamir Blatt and John Di Bartolomeo. Probably John Di Bartolomeo falls into that category Local of player. yeah, that's the players. thing. Maccabi's yeah. captain. Maccabi's He's captain. He's probably going to remain okay. Maccabi's captain. Shout out to him. He's just playing great recently. And, yeah, and, and so he's playing his heart out. And Man, Tamir Blatt, Tamir Blatt, you know, also made quite an impression in the in the first five games. He sometimes have, you know, it's hard to, for him to be consistent because you know you have Maude Law and and Jaleen yeah. Smith in the same backcourt, so your playing time is not that consistent. So it's hard to keep your performances consistent, but. Yeah, but that's the thing. If I'm a bigger club, do I look for players probably like not, Tamir Blad because of his defense? I'm not signing him. Yeah, uh, I respect his uh, game because he's a very skilled player and he has a lot of confidence and he can shoot deep freeze. And 
but he just fits Alba Berlin's yeah. style of play so mm -hmm. perfectly. That's like, that's like the, you know, John Bartolomeo is a situation of local player performing in the yeah. copy, but Tamir Blatt to me and probably to us is a homegrown player of Alba Berlin. If, that's the if way it looks. That's that. the yeah, way it looks. He's, yeah. he's like a local player, Dale. He's getting already. that treatment, let's say, in yeah. the EuroLeague market. Also had Freddy Gillespie as a very intriguing play, uh, player. Uh, I mentioned in the, some of the previous podcasts the uh, improvement he made throughout the season from being very raw big man coming to play for Andrea Trinkieri and then playing some very important uh, minutes and in, in some in some games uh, this season. Uh, but at the same time, I was so surprised to find out. Uh, of course, his um, the main ceiling for his game is just offensive potential. Or, uh, rather than just being a rolling big guy it's it's hard to expect anything uh, from him besides that he's not shooting trees he's not stretching the floor and i was really surprised uh, finding out that he makes the free throws uh, only by 32.4 percent that's that's something because it even surpasses Nicolaitis, oh my who hits the free throws 33.3 percent i'm glad you mentioned Nicolaitis because i want to bring something up <laughs> Jalgir is playing Fenerbahce, right? We all saw the game. Yeah. So Jalgir is do trying to make a comeback. Uh, and after Hayes and one play, they're only down by four. There's 58 seconds left on the clock. And Nick Kaladis is bringing the ball up the court. Heck. Foul him. Why nobody does that? We talked about it. Yeah, and we were. That was a perfect situation for Coach Kaziz to show True. an example yeah. to others. True. He had the ball for like six seconds. You're down by four, 58 seconds left. Foul him, put him on the line. The only coach. He trusts who, his defense. I, I don't know. The only coach who tried to foul him, I think it was Sasha Bradovich in the game against Monaco. I just remember him shouting on the sidelines to foul Nikolaitis, but probably his players didn't understand that. And uh, so they didn't foul him. But yeah, it's not That's like a common thing. Kudos to Sasha Bradovich. That's my kind of coach. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we actually will ask Redonas to put some stuff on our screens. This is a social media catch and shoot segment. We will uh, review the m biggest action on social media past week. Uh, I actually saw Ritis being active on social media, especially, especially last yeah, night and complaining was, uh, about Dallas. Because I was sick. I was just laying in bed and watching game after game after game. What else yeah. can I do? Yeah. rather than go on social media. It, it actually turns out that the, that's some fake profile. Uh, he, there was a fake Donatus Urbanus profile and he broke some news, I think, because uh, yesterday I saw some message requests saying, oh, uh, mm, report this profile because he's, he's tweeting some fake stuff and trying to pretend you. But I'm just not sure who he, what he has uh, tweeted. But that's when you know you're becoming important, when yeah. people are creating fake profiles yeah. of your name. But these guys are actually hurt me a lot because I remember when if some, some EuroLeague team GMs almost called me, you know, to say what the hell you're tweeting because mm -hmm. I remember that somebody pretending me tweeted that Mike James is going to Fenerbahce and some, some other stuff. So usually it's... It, it hurts me more than just lets me think that, oh, now I made it, now I'm famous. <laughs> no, but if somebody had a fake profile of me, I would take that as a compliment. Okay. Let's not uh, encourage these guys. So what would we have? Oh, Will Clyburn. That's 
okay, I was I was missing that fake uh, the Nada Surbonas thing on on Twitter because I I was just having a great weekend and had some time off uh, from from computer, mobile phone and stuff. So I was surprised when I saw Will Clyburn, Will Clyburn having this mess on social media. He just tweeted that I'm about to channel my inner Mike James if these fans don't leave me alone today. And of course, Mike James and even Malcolm Delaney jumped in. It turns out that Will Clyburn, following the win in the Turkish league, he tweeted, just a second, he tweeted, uh, one thing, which I had no clue, would uh, will trigger after, after SS game? fans. Uh, no, that, no, after that, the that Turkish just, League game on weekend. Oh, so he okay. tweeted, "Nobody." That's a quote. Nobody wins when the family feuds, and it's the lyrics of some Jay Z song. And many of these uh, FS fans, uh, I mean, this tweet got almost 170k uh, uh, views. Many of FS fans thought that means that there's something going on in FS and that there's some, you know, some some conflicts between the teammates or the head coaches or stuff and that what, you know, uh, stops them from, from making the playoffs and stuff. So he had some heated comments. Uh, he had a lot of uh, hate uh, in the in the comment section. Of course, he had a lot of offers to come to Pantnaikos, Fenerbahce, or all the <laughs> other teams, as always. For sure. <laughs> but wow, it just says that if if I was a player, I would definitely shut my uh, down my Twitter profile for this season because whatever you posted uh, on it. It can be misinterpreted so badly. I would troll these people so much, <laughs> <laughs> like just like Mike James do. I mean, it, it, no, like no surprise that his favorite player is Mike James. You know, <laughs> uh, these guys. Are this, this guy, this guy just said. Uh, Rita said, uh, you know, Mike James should should uh, concentrate on the playoffs and stuff like that. And like, and then five minutes later, he's like, I'm, I would troll <laughs> these people so much. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to affect my game. I mean, yeah, no. what what I do in my free time is my own business. <laughs> These guys are just joking here, and Will Clyburn had a really, uh, I would say, a great uh, punchline <laughs> uh, with his tweet, and yeah. I mean, this is the GOAT top three uh, EuroLeague Twitter. That's true. In, in one screenshot, I would say. That's amazing. Yeah, that's Malcolm, amazing. Mike James, and, and Will Clyburn. Yeah. Mm. No, even though Will is not that active, I think, no. on social it's okay. media. He's okay, but Wait, no. of course he's one of the eliminate him from to the top. Eliminate him from the top three. Who is the, the third guy? Quick, off the top of your head. Because the, Malcolm and Mike is definitely in, in the in the top three. I just Who's recently found Wade Baldwin being decent on Twitter. I mean, he's pretty active. Actually, Chima Moneke is pretty active as well. I uh, saw a good Tyrese, Tyrese Rice, Rice. Tyrese yeah, Rice yeah. is in the top yeah. three. I saw a good tweet by Sergio Scariolo. <gasps> Amazing tweet. It will be also on the <laughs> okay, screen soon. Okay. But let's go uh, for this second uh, social media post. Uh, it was Igor Rakosevich in an interview to Nikola Stojkovic from Master Sport. He said that it's a shame that Campasso didn't have the opportunity to help the team earlier because the situation would certainly have been much better. Zvezda could very, very easily have been among the first five or six teams with Campasso. They lost to Alba Berlin without Campasso, then they lost to Bayern Munich with Campasso. Case closed. 
uh, third post, I think we can go there. <laughs> I mean, we have talked about I mean, enough about this situation, it, and you can't say it's a shame. I, I, I mean, see I'm that Rakosevic probably recalled that time where Zvezda was one of the hottest teams in the EuroLeague, and if you would add Kampas on the top, you could extend that kind of successful stretch and the, to keep the momentum. But at the same time, I cannot buy into what Rakosev is saying because at the same interview he mentioned that when he was asked about Darius Thompson apparently he said that he didn't watch any of Basconia's games this season so how the hell you can put Zvezda in the top five and top six without seeing the other top eight teams in the year league so I mean it's 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 not a fair take uh, that that's a great comment there by Jay Quintana if my grandma had wheels it would be a bicycle that's a great response I think hmm. yeah. it depends on how many wheels she had <laughs> And if grandpa was a man, her name would be a Deda. It was, yeah, it was a uh, translated tweet, so. Mm. Okay, let's let's go to the last one. Sergio Scariolo is mm. somebody to follow on Twitter. On Twitter, So he, he, he just tweeted, poor me if your league players find out that by knocking me down on the sidelines, they earned the MVP of the week award. Congrats, Gershon Yabisele, fantastic game. It looks like I didn't hurt you that much. I actually, I actually didn't see that game. But I watched the highlights. I watched the situation. We can actually put it on the screen as well, and it looked it looked serious, like a car accident. I would say. Just look, the the power and strength that Yabusele is going at Sergio Scariolo. There will be a replay, I think. It's way more serious than it looked like at first. But Sergio, Sergio, I he was doing a good job. I, I think that he was holding charge. his uh, down ground. Yeah, but he was not prepared for the contact, and knowing that he's not in, he's not in his playing shoes. He took the contact really well. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love one of the comments. His haircut still is, looks the same. So <laughs> there yeah. was a comment uh, saying something that the reason why he stood his ground uh, so well was the hair gel. That that made uh, the play, which which I agree on. I Fair. think, yeah, and that's that's probably it for our social social media segments. That's some that was some pretty cool uh, content. I'm happy that all, especially all these players they're trying to make this uh, uh, segment. Last week it was Shane Larkin. I don't think they're trying to make it. <laughs> no, they're trying. We should endorse them. They sh we should I don't endorse think them. They're trying. I think they're just doing what they do, and and then you decide on who's in and who's out. No, no, it's it's, they're it's, it's because of us. Okay. They're, they're trying. They're trying. They're desperately. They're desperate. desperately trying to be on this show. Definitely yeah, for sure. Man. Do we have a sponsor already for the sec? for this segment uh, this week sponsored it was Will Clyburn nothing oh, it, it, it's okay. sponsored by uh, individuals uh, week by week at okay. first it was sponsored by Mike James last week it was Shane Larkin and now it was uh, Will Clyburn so it's Mike time we're open for all week, the probably. yeah all the offers but uh, to finish the podcast on the serious notes uh, just the last question about one of the hottest names in the NBA uh, Austin Reeves uh, from LA one Lakers one of the hottest names in the NBA <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out clearly I haven't been watching enough NBA no I mean he's playing great <laughs> no, I'm, no, he I'm was, not saying he's he not playing great he was one of the hottest great. topics recently <laughs> uh, on Twitter at least uh, and it turns out uh, he might join the German national team for the upcoming World Cup it turns out that he has brother playing in Bamberg who already holds a German citizenship and uh, Austin also can join the German national team because his grandma I think is German so 
what do you think about those this whole situation and how far can germany go with austin reeves uh in the world cup as far as they can go without him in my opinion i mean he's a good player he w- would add more quality to the team for sure um He's proving this season that he belongs in the NBA and he's going to sign a good contract in the summer, I believe. But the thing is, Germany has Franz Wagner, clearly the present and the future of this national team. They still have Dennis Schroeder, who is probably playing more mature recently than ever. And now you see him as a reliable leader of the team. The only problem for them in the Eurobasket, where they actually won a bronze medal, <laughs> was that they didn't have the their best uh, bigs. They mm-hmm. only had Daniel Tyson. He also was sort of injured. And they were without uh, Maxi oh, yeah. Kleba. They were without uh, Thibaut Plais. There were many players missing. Uh, uh, practically everyone they missing had to in the call, uh, Isaiah Wobo. Hartenstein. They had right. to call Wobo to the national team. Yeah, Isaiah Hartenstein, who is now making a name for himself as a dis- defensive center in the NBA. So basically, if they have all these pieces together... They have the Wagner brothers. Actually, Mo Wagner yeah. didn't play in the Eurobasket. Another player who was out. Uh, it's not about whether Austin Reeves joins the team or not. They already have a good team. And if they can add more quality, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, he's uh, in 13 games uh, in March. He's scoring 17 points per game and having six assists as yeah. well. So he's that guy who could give Germany another option in that crowded backcourt of of players uh maybe you know if you, would you agree that he would take the spot of of Andreas Obst you know but, it he's, so but is it good for the team yeah exactly like you have a pure exactly. shooter you have to understand if he's actually I mean he is a great player to, to have you know on the roster yeah. definitely because he is shown on NBA courts, he can handle the ball, he can play pick and roll. He's not the fastest or the guy who jumps the the, the highest, but he's really just crafty player, uh, smart, makes the right play. And uh, but to me, I, I would have him. I would ta- I would take him on that roster. You know, maybe yeah, maybe someone someone has to you know play less minutes from that from that yeah. great team that won won the bronze medal. But I think uh, having him would be would be would be an upgrade. That's still, you know, a player, uh, NBA level player. I'm not saying I wouldn't have him. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that with Schroeder, Law, Obst, Obst, Nick Weiler, Bob, Nick Weiler, Bob, and having Franz you, Wagner, you can't hand him. You can have him and Weiler, Bob okay. at the same team. Yeah, so I need to have one. So, so you're probably taking one Aust- or the Aust- other. Austin Reeves, of course. Then, uh, and Franz Wagner is still the star of the show, in my opinion. Yeah. He's the best. Of player. course, of he's course. He's their best player, and he has a very high ceiling, and uh, he's improving every every single month. I would say he's getting better. So, uh, yeah, with Austin Reeves, they they have more talent, but again, it's also about him adapting to a different uh, style of play, to a different role, and everything. Not every player who's good in the NBA is as successful uh, in FIBA competitions. So, but if he's willing to play for them. He seems why, like why he seems like he's willing. I remember. To play. I remember there was sort of like a similar situation with Chris Kamen. Do you remember? Oh yeah. And he it was it, a eventually he joined the national right. team, but it didn't really really work out with him and and Dirk Nowitzki in, in, the, in, the, Dirk, yeah. in the front court. So yeah, there are some good examples and there's some bad examples. But I just think that yeah, I mean we already 
we've been asked about the World Cup favorites, and actually, I think that one more time, Germany is a very underrated team. Germany is a team you cannot sleep on. Man, I mean, the last campaign, it was a, so fun to watch them, and when you look at the potential roster that they can have, it's just incredible. You already mentioned a few of these guys, like Mo Wagner, Maxi Kleber, Hartenstein, Thais in the front line. You have Franz Wagner, Isaac Bongas, forwards, uh, Reeves, Obst, uh, Weiler Bab, uh, Maudolo, Dennis Schroeder. I mean, it's just amazing team. And But what I like about this mm, the whole uh, conversation. Actually, we have to apologize to our listeners and fans because we were not aware of Dennis Schroeder uh, connection with yeah, Germany and yeah. Braunschweig, Braunschweig, Braunschweig. Uh, and actually, he when has. When did this happen? And the last week when you were not uh, here, we were. Yeah, we were talking about but European players that could potentially yeah. come back to Europe, and we we, we said that Dennis Schroeder. Uh, his playing style just fits the NBA so well, and we yeah. don't really ha see any connections to him in European basketball. But then, some German people uh, actually tweeted us, and yeah. he owns a team. He owns a team. He owns a team. He owns a team, and yeah. he loves playing yeah. for the German national team. And what I like, and I believe that if he, they will need to recruit Reeves to the national team, I think he will do a big part of that job. Maybe uh, he's doing his it time. already. Yeah. That could be the case. <laughs> And what I like about his love to the national team and just him being an as example of the last year's Eurobasket that I remember that many, many years ago when some European players had great FIBA tournaments, following these tournaments, they were signing some contracts with big teams. And it was some something like a you know big point of their summer or free agency. If I do well in the tournaments, I might get a good contract. And I really love to see Dennis Schroeder uh, I wouldn't say mm, recovering his reputation, but changing the um, the whole landscape or changing the whole attitude at him as a player. Because before he was known more as a you know individual player, scorer who needs a ball in his hands to be uh, efficient. Uh, to be, I mean, he he was not known as somebody as a helper, uh, somebody who could join teams with already yeah. a lot of stars. And what he did with the German national team, how much sacrifice he for the team, the way he set the tone for the team as a leader of the group, how much he matured during his time with the German national team, it was very important for LA Lakers to finally be convinced about signing him to join this group. And I really like that the FIBA competition, the national team competition actually had a big impact even for the NBA player uh, to join the team like uh, LA Lakers. So that's a nice example for some other players in the NBA, Europeans mostly, that are skipping the national team competitions. They don't think that it's not important uh, for their you know future and in the in the clubs. So Shorter was a great example. Okay. Yep. And I just want to finish by saying that. Pat Beverly did a too small taunt <laughs> on LeBron James. Wild times. In Los Angeles. This will be on the next week's segment of social media. No, it was just off the chart. It, it, it requires the, the whole podcast about that. No, Pat, what Pat a Beverly crazy is world. Have, have, you seen, have you seen a Kevin Hart interview with Pat Beverly where he explains his, uh, his mindset, how he grew up and basically that he had to live with his own mom, mom in the first couple of years in the NBA because he was broke uh, because he had to pay the buyout from Europe by himself. Yeah. Mm. So basically he said like, I was going from practice to my mom's house and saying, yo, what's up for dinner, you know? And I, I was playing in the <laughs> NBA, living with my mom, having to, you know, pay, pay actually in debt, you know, because he yeah. had to pay so much of, uh, of the buyout. 
No, I'd, but uh, he's wild, but I really that. respect his journey. I mean, he's crazy. Of course, you can not agree with a lot of takes that he had, but his journey is, is an example for for many guys, actually. No, I mean, if if, if he wasn't how he was, uh, it's the big question if he would have no, made it. Right? He definitely would not be in the position where he is right now. So mm. for sure. It's just uh, definitely, you know, making these signs are, I mean, are funny right now because he already made it and stuff. But but it's on LeBron James. It's not <laughs> not like he was haunting some <laughs> random player. Uh, but in the NBA, it was who, on LeBron. Theor- theoretically speaking, in the NBA, who would he show to the too small? Because he's one of the smallest guy in the <laughs> NBA already, and the league is getting bigger every day. So LeBron is too small to <laughs> guard him. You know, fair, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 